Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Today is just Jen and I here in the studio, and we're going to be talking about a specific interweave that both of us have found really useful. Um, And we're going to talk for a few minutes just to introduce it, and then at the end there will also be a demo um, that Jen's going to do with a person to demonstrate to you guys exactly how to use this and what it sounds like in real life. Um, So the interweave we're going to be talking about is called the two-handed interweave, and um, I was first introduced uh, to this interweave by a trainer named Jan Shad, and um, I don't believe it, it's not her um, creation. Um, and as far as I can tell, I think it was actually created by Robin Shapiro. It, it shows up in her book um, that she edited, EMDR Solutions, which is a tremendous book, highly recommended. It. it has a lot of different interweaves and interventions. Um, So if you guys don't have that, I really recommend getting it. But in chapter six of that book, it goes into detail about the two-handed interweave and how to use it. And so that's what we want to share with you guys today. So Jen, thoughts about the two-handed interweave? Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. Mm -hmm. I think anytime we can gain additional material to work within the standard approach that we use, it kind of just broadens our ability to reach other clients Mm -hmm. um, or to work through some of those moments of feeling stuck or blocked in our processing. So this is something that I have found myself using um, quite frequently. I wouldn't say all of the time, but it is a powerful technique and I've yet to experience anything negative from it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's felt like a really like nice, soft, gentle approach um, as far as interweaves go that have just always gotten me either more neutral or pretty positive responses. So It's an interweave that we can use either in the midst of something we're already processing. So if you have a target, trauma target you're working on and something gets stuck or they come to this place of feeling torn between two sides, Mm -hmm. um, they're deliberating. There's a choice to be made. Yes. Mm -hmm. They have two options of things they're considering. We can use it at that place or we can use it just as it stands alone in and of itself. So, you know, a client who comes in struggling with. I've got a student right now who's saying I'm having a hard time at school and I'm trying to debate do I want to go ahead and drop out for this semester or should I stay? Mm -hmm. And that's her struggle. Yes, we have all this other trauma that we are addressing, but that week she's experiencing high anxiety about what to do. And this could be a tool that could kind of help her that gets us then in a place we can shift back our focus to the trauma work we were doing. Mm -hmm. So I think um, just to kind of lay that out there of how it's used, and then we want to talk a little bit about what it actually looks like. I highly recommend that everybody gets that EMDR Solutions book and reads through it themselves and just kind of understands it for how it's presented. Um, But we'll give a, a general summary and then a case example of how that looks. So Melissa, is there anything you want to share about the technique of it mm-hmm. first? Or we can- yeah, so it's called two-handed interweave because you are literally having your client hold their two hands in front of them or, you know, laying them on their lap. And the basic premise is that you are having them, um, Robin Shapiro's language is you have them anchor 
um, one of the choices, the thoughts, the feelings, the beliefs, or even ego state, right? So adult self um, versus child self, things like that. Um, you have them anchor one of those options in their left hand, and then they anchor the other option in their right hand. And um, both in the book and the trainer that presented this to me really suggested that we let the client choose which option goes in which mm-hmm. hand. Um, it seems like a small detail, but um, it can it can make a big difference to really give them a sense of autonomy over what's happening. Um because this is all about choice and feeling empowered to make a good choice for themselves. So you have them anchor um, each option in one of the hands and you apply BLS. Um, You can have them, if you're used to using the buzzers, they can do that uh, by holding the buzzers or placing the buzzers underneath each hand on their lap. Um, Certainly eye movements is pretty straightforward. Um, So you can get a little bit creative with how you apply the BLS in that situation. Um, and Robin Shapiro suggests that you do about 15 passes. Okay. So, um, not too super long, but also, you know, really noticing the client and, um, whether they need a little bit more time or if they feel, uh, kind of ready to stop. And you instruct them that as you're applying the BLS, they're shifting their awareness back and forth between the two hands, right? This hand with this option, this hand with this option. Sometimes when I uh, do this with clients, you'll actually see them sort of sway back and yeah. forth or lift or one lift hand. Their hands. <laughs> it's like they're weighing it out. Um, it's really fascinating to watch them do this. Um, And as they are shifting their focus back and forth and experiencing the BLS, it's the same instruction of just notice, right? You're not actually trying to make a decision in this moment. Um, There's no pressure. We're just noticing what comes up, what our brain highlights for us as we shift our awareness back and forth. And after about 15 BLS, you pause and you ask the the question, um, what differences do you notice between the two? Okay, so it's a little bit more specific than the traditional what do you notice. Um, And just asking them to give a little bit of feedback about the differences that they're perceiving between the two. Um, So, Jen, what are some examples of responses that you get when you ask that question? Well, even to back up just a a bit on that, a lot of times um, I'll even have them picture, not always, it depends on the client, but visualize either as they picture it in their hands, they're placing it in their hands, they're really visualizing something that represents mm, that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes we even take a moment to have them describe what that is. If I have a client who processes more creatively, creatively or artistically, um, they'll talk. see that being good with kids as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, and really talk about what that looks like in their hand and, and noticing that in there. And it's interesting because as they're processing those differences, when you ask that question, it can be anywhere from something that's really sensory, like one hand feels really heavy and one feels light, mm-hmm. or I feel tingles in one hand. Um, one I like hand. this hand better. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This one feels stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it can go into even just thoughts and responses about the circumstance themselves. So the student who's deliberating between do I drop out or not, she's kind of able to run through a pros and cons list in a really adaptive, mm-hmm. almost objective way where she's less emotionally triggered as she's doing it, but just kind of considering these two options and the pros and cons between the two. Um, there was a demonstration 
when you were first trained on it that you had done with mm-hmm. it, and I, I still remember it stands out in me, in my mind, and she was debating of, do I move or do I not? Mm-hmm. You know, it can be these life questions and was able to run through um, her feelings, her deep feelings. Mm-hmm. So it can be thoughts and cognitions. It can be emotions. Like, well, when I, when I look, think of this hand, I just feel this rush of energy or excitement, or on this one, I feel a lot of anxiety and stress. So it might manifest um, somatically, emotionally, cognitively, and it's just really neat how every client can process that so differently. It seems to be very uh, clarifying of kind of that underneath layer of motivation and desire and even some of the more uh, taboo things that people feel like, well, I'm not supposed to feel this way. I'm not supposed to think that way. That if we give them the option to, you know, be objective in this sense and, you know, have this clarifying moment, that stuff tends to rise to the surface. Um, and, you know, suddenly that decision-making process is so much easier when they're understanding their kind of deep down motivation rather than just what's on that yeah. top layer. Yeah. Um, so I've seen a lot of that, of it being this, you know, deeply clarifying thing where they're really kind of coming into ownership of their own motives and their mm-hmm. own true desires rather than the push and the pull of everybody else's opinions and things like that. So, um, so yeah, I found it to be, you know, personally really helpful. I use it on myself sometimes mm-hmm. if I'm really stuck. So, um, definitely recommend that as a great way to kind of get used to using this interweave. Practice it yourself. It's a really easy one to do on ourselves um, or with family members and things like that just for practice. Um, so any other thoughts before we get to the demo? Well, there will. Um, there is the possibility that trauma can come up with it. So it can, you know, we're using a faster movement of the bilateral, mm-hmm. um, about 15 sets. So it stays short enough, but, um, it does move faster. So it can tap into other trauma. Um, it can bring things up. So we want to make sure that we are, you know, stable, that client stabilized and we're in a place that we can switch over to do trauma reprocessing or have containment, some type of resourcing there until we can get to addressing what comes up. Mm. I've never had a, a real negative experience with that. Um, the case I'm going to share about here in just a moment, she, some things came up related to her divorce, but it was really therapeutic for her to acknowledge like, oh, it's all of that. That's like filtering into this decision. Like that makes my decision so much easier because I recognize I'm responding from my trauma rather than from logic. So I'll actually just kind of transition into that now of sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll be really vague in what I shared just because um, of confidentiality. But I have a client who came in just really struggling with a pet of hers and um, loves this pet dearly. It's part of the family, but it's destroying their home, mm-hmm. really absolutely destroying her home. And she was able to cognitively say, this this poor dog is just not happy with us. He's not healthy with us. He's so anxious. We're gone. I mean, really to a point of um, harming himself even. Oh. Really heartbreaking. And she knew in her mind the right thing to do is to not keep this dog, but it, she couldn't do it. Months of just like... We would start, you know, she would consider finding a new home and then jump right back to, I just can't do it. And so we ended up doing a two-handed interview because she was like, I've just got to decide what to do. Like, this is, it's gone too far. And through that, she was able to acknowledge that some material from her divorce 
had filtered into this idea, um, and I won't go into the details of how it came up, but there was a connection there of the trauma in her divorce and how she felt there and how, how her kids and her family responded in that circumstance that really motivated her that I can't let go of this dog. I have to mm-hmm. fight to make this work. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't give up. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then when she could step and see that, she was able to say, okay, I am basing this decision on something that happened years ago that is fairly irrational to this current circumstance. Right. And I can make a, a good, healthy decision for our family and for this this dog that deserves a home where it had more space and people around. So it was so powerful for her mm-hmm. and it was pretty quick. I mean, it was in one session we did that, even just a, a portion of a session. And she came back the next week and she said, we made, we did it. We made the decision. It was so good for our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, they handled it in the perfect way. It was just a really great experience. So, um, and then for her to have that new insight of, wow, I thought I was done with everything with my divorce and there's still some things there mm-hmm. gave us some clear targets of where we move to next. Right, right. Which I think, you know, we, we really want to kind of highlight that piece of um, if something like that comes up in the midst of using this interweave, then we make the decision, is that now a target, mm-hmm. right? Is that a target for standard protocol? Um and of course, that's a conversation with the client about whether or not they they want to do that. Um, but that's another great thing about this interweave and using it in you know other places, just in our conversations with clients, even during you know talk therapy and things like that to intersperse it, is because we get some insight into potential targets that we wouldn't have found otherwise. Yeah. You know, the client thinks, "Oh, I'm totally resolved about this issue," mm-hmm. or "It's completely about this thing." Oh, but there's this root underneath. Um, And so I find it to be a really kind of gentle way of helping people get insight to potentially help them feel motivated Mm -hmm. to do some standard protocol work um, on some of those things that maybe they were dismissing or not open to. Mm-hmm. You know, just to share some examples of different things that you can utilize this with that are maybe outside of what you would initially think of, like those obvious, I'm making a decision. Um, so for instance, a client who's deliberating about doing EMDR mm-hmm. or their trauma work, yeah. um, that this is a nice introduction to how this process can kind of work um, and what they, they could experience. But We've talked before on the podcast about sometimes targeting the anxiety about doing mm-hmm. your trauma work. This could be another option of, I want to do it, but I kind of don't. Or a part of me is ready and a part of me is not. Yes. Um, ego states, yes. you know, tapping into, mm-hmm. I've got this child part that says this about the situation or that, you know, about my trauma. And I've got this loving, nurturing part or this adult wise part that says this, and we're kind of battling those two voices back and forth. Um, even looking at calm, safe place of sometimes people have their calm, safe place get filtered with some negative um, aspect of it. And so being able to deliberate between you know, a place that is calm and peaceful versus this place that's dark and not and kind of going back and forth and and noticing the differences between those two Mm -hmm. and the way they feel. Mm -hmm. So we can get pretty creative with it. It doesn't 
Yeah. And there's a lot of other examples, um, the negative and the positive cognition. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to believe that, but I'm just still stuck on this. Um, Some behavioral things. Absolutely. The me that wants to, you know, start exercising and the me that really wants to stay on the couch. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the me that does this behavior that I don't like versus the me that really wants it to stop. Um, yeah, I've, I've done some where, you know, kind of looking at the differences between these aspects of self are so powerful Mm -hmm. and um, creates a lot of self-compassion and self-understanding. Yeah. And I I don't think on some of those bigger topics, this isn't going to be the the one session and that's it and everything's solved, but it helps to break them through what they're battling in that moment, give them something to work with. And then a lot of insight is gained for what other work do we need to do? Mm-hmm. Um, or as we mentioned before, you could be in the midst of reprocessing. We're already doing the trauma work and we could bring this in to help just kind of boost us to that right. next place. Right. The me that wants to forgive and move forward and the yeah. me that wants to hold on to this. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of ways of using it in the middle to help uh, people get unstuck. It can be really powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So hopefully this just kind of opens your mind to the many other interweaves and protocols and things that we can do that reach our clients specifically where they're at. We're going to follow this up, like Melissa mentioned, with a demonstration so you can hear it, so kind of hear how that goes in action. But hopefully something you've heard will help you help your clients. Mm-hmm. Talk to you all soon. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to noticethat at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time.